Thank you, Jeff, the musicians. And let me just say, you look marvelous this morning. Look at you all here together, uh, worshiping together, and it is good to see you. Take your copy of God's Word and go to Hebrews chapter 11. We were in a study in the book of Hebrews before uh, Easter, so I want to pick up there again in chapter 11, verse 17. And as you turn there, let me remind you, maybe uh, catch up a little bit on the context in this chapter. This is the chapter, Hebrews 11, that is known as the Hall of Fame, if you will, the Heroes of Faith. And the writer began to list all these great saints of the past and their faith. And the reason he did that is in the very first verses of chapter 11, he, he described what faith is. It's the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And once he uh, elucidated that, if you will, once he explained that, uh, he knew that we and his readers learned by example. And so he began to list all these people that had that kind of faith, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And so far, we've learned of four kinds of faith. And I want to review them very quickly before we look at the fifth kind uh, this morning. The first four kinds of faith began with Abel, Cain and Abel in the Garden of Eden. Uh, they brought offerings to God, Cain and Abel. Abel's offering was acceptable before God. He received that offering. God rejected Cain's offering. And you remember in our message about that, and by the way, all the messages are archived online if you want to go back and, and catch up on one, but uh, Abel brought his offering with the key element of faith. He brought it believing what God had said, and he offered it with an attitude of faith, and so his offering was acceptable to God, and we call that uh, a worshiping faith. And I might just add very quickly, when we come before God today and we sing and we worship God and we spend time in his word, the worship really comes from our heart, not what we do on the outside. And so if your heart's not right, the worship won't be right. Uh, Abel came with a heart that was right before God and he came with a worshiping faith. Then we looked at what I called a walking faith. We looked at a man named Enoch. Enoch was in the seventh generation from Adam and Eve. He was in the seventh generation of humanity before the flood. And the Bible says that Enoch was a man who so closely walked with God, so closely obeyed God and, and spent time with God in fellowship that one day God just translated him and took him on to heaven. Uh, he didn't die physically. He didn't, he didn't experience a normal death. Uh, and as we pointed out before, uh, when Jesus comes back, if he comes back in our lifetime, we're going to experience something like that. And I pray this morning Jesus will come back. So hopefully the rapture will happen today. But if not, we'll look for it tomorrow. Enoch walked with God. He had what we call a walking faith. He walked with God day by day. Certainly we should do that. Then we looked at a third kind of faith in a man named Noah. Uh, we call it a working faith. God came to Noah and said, hey, it's going to flood. It's going to rain 40 days and 40 nights. You need to build an ark here to dimensions. And so Noah, I'm pretty sure, wasn't a shipbuilder. I don't know what his profession was. I don't think he built ships. Uh, Noah had to believe God, a working faith. For 120 years, he built that, that ship, that ark, to, to be a, a vessel of salvation for those who would get on it. He had what I call a, a working faith, and certainly we can make application of that. When you're saved, God didn't save you to sit and soak. God saved you to serve. And you should be involved doing something. We have a working faith. And then the last time, we looked at a guy named Abraham. And he had what I called a wondering faith. Not a wondering faith as in if he didn't know what to do, but a wondering faith as in God came to him in Ur of the Chaldees. And God said to him, I need you to leave your home and leave all that you have and come to a land that I'm going to show you, and I'm going to build a nation out of you. And he, 
he believed God and he had a wondering faith. He wandered out into the wilderness and he followed God. And I, I pointed out there have been times in life when God calls you to do something and it makes you wonder, doesn't it? it makes you think, Lord, do you really want me to do that? But when you follow God, you have a, that kind of faith that you enjoy, uh, knowing God's going to lead you in the right way. And that brings us this morning to a, a fifth kind of faith, if you will, and I call it a willing faith, a willing faith. And it's looked at again in the life of this man named Abraham. Abraham had two. He had the wondering faith and he had the willing faith. Uh, by the way, Abraham in the Bible is one of the epitomes of an example of a man who had faith. I mean, he believed God through some incredible circumstances. And so we come this morning to a, a willing faith, and we pick that up in verse 17 of Hebrews 11. Look at your copy of God's Word with me. The Bible says by faith, and that is the key to this entire uh, part that we're going to look at today. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested or tried, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promise offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, and Isaac, your seed shall be called. Verse 19, concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. Before I, I get into the details of what the writer's talking about here, and we'll go back to Genesis 22 and look at it in just a moment, I want to point something out that's probably jumps right out at us out of the pages of Scripture. God tested Abraham. Pause for a minute and let that sink in. You're probably thinking, I thought God liked me. What do you mean he's testing me? God more than likes you, he loves you. But let me point some things out that we understand right away. God sometimes tests his people. God will send trials into our life on purpose. Sometimes God will bring a trial into our life for purposes of his own. God will test us. He'll try us. He'll allow circumstances to come into our life that are difficult. Now, I want you to understand, and we need to understand, God saved us, but he's not a genie in the bottle to make our life smooth all the time. God purposely allows things to come into our lives. Here's a caveat to that. God never tests us or tempts us to sin. That's us, not him. If we ever get into sin or we feel tempted to a sin or to give in to some desire of the flesh, that's us. According to James, that's not God. God will never tempt us to sin. In fact, let me read it to you. James chapter 1, verse 13. Let no man say or no one say he's tempted. I'm tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. Then James went on to say, but each one of us is tempted when we are drawn away by our own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, <clears throat> brings forth death. We sin because we're sinners, and we sin because of our flesh. However, God does try us in life not to sin, but for his purposes. Well, what are some of those purposes? You say, why in the world would God give Abraham a test? Why would God put a difficult trial in Abraham's life? Let me give you three reasons that are true for Abraham and true for you in your life today. You may be in the midst of a trial. You may be facing some difficulty in life. You may have just come out of a trial. You may be going into a trial soon and you don't even know it. Here are some reasons why God sends trials in our life. Number one, it grows our faith. Number one, it grows our faith. Nothing like faith exercise to get stronger, right? I mean, there are guys and gals who go to the gym and they lift weights and they run and they exercise. Why? Because muscles exercise gets stronger. 
Same with our faith. God brings things into our lives, listen, that take us outside of our comfort zone. You ever been shoved by God outside your comfort zone? Been there, okay? You know, God, hand on your back. Get out of there, young man. Do, go. And, and it takes you out of your comfort zone. And what does it force you to do when God takes you out of your comfort zone? It causes you to pray, doesn't it? Causes you to say to God, God, I can't do this. Was exactly what God wants you to say. He pushes you out of there. He puts that test in your life. Takes you outside of your own abilities. Takes you outside of what you can control and what you can take care of. And it forces us to trust God. So trials in our lives uh, grows our faith and makes it stronger. I can tell you from personal experience, and I'm sure you can too, in those times in my life when I face trials and I face difficulties and God has proven himself faithful, my faith is stronger on the other side than it was when I went in. And so God exercises our faith. Number two, God tests us for his own glory. God gives us trials and tests for his glory because listen to me, when we endure those trials and God demonstrates his grace to us, he's glorified in our lives. When you come through a trial or I come through a trial or difficulty and we come out the other side and we say, man, God was faithful, it drives us to worship him more, doesn't it? Draws us closer to him. And so God is glorified in putting those trials in our lives. And then number three, it's kind of like, I know this is out of, out of style today when my daddy used to give me a whooping and trust me, it was a whooping. He would say to me, this is for your own good. Your dad ever said that to you? When I was a kid, I was thinking, there is nothing good about this at all. I mean, not even close. And he says, when you get older, you'll understand, well, I did this. And I said, well, I don't understand right now. God brings trials in our lives sometimes because he's a good father. And he brings those trials in our lives, listen, for our own good, even though we can't see it. What does Romans 8, 28 say? God's working, what? All things together for our good. That means not just the glorious things, but the, the hard things, the things in life that you run into that you scratch your head and you can't understand and you, and you don't know why it happened. You don't know why God allowed it to happen. You don't know why these circumstances came, but God's faithful and he's working those things for our good. Now, let me throw in one warning here and we're gonna look at Abraham. Sometimes people have come to me and they say, Pastor, I need to talk to you. I got this terrible trial in my life and I don't know why God's doing this. And when they tell me what happened, I, I have to go, wait a minute. God didn't do that. You did. Be careful. We sometimes in our sinfulness or, 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 or the case might be our lack of patience to wait on God, we do things that bring difficulty into our lives. Those are not God's fault. Don't blame him for that. They're our fault, okay? And that's just a warning to say that, look, sin always has negative consequences. What did James say? Sin's born in us, the temptation. And when we embrace it and it becomes grown, it brings death. So we can't blame God for terrible things that happen in our life because we chose to take the wrong road. So just keep that in mind when you're thinking about tests and trial. Now, what about Abraham's test? Well, we're gonna go back to Genesis 22. And I don't have time to do a full <clears throat> exegesis of all that happened to Abraham and this thing, but we're going to read it and understand why the writer to the Hebrews uses him as this illustration. So go back to Genesis 22, verses 1 and 2. Listen to what happened to Abraham. Here's the test. Now, it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham. There it is. Tells us right up front, this thing came from God. 
And he said, and said to him, God said to Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. Then he said, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. When I was studying this and writing my notes this week, right underneath this passage, I wrote the greatest test ever. Greatest test ever. In all the Bible, in all that I've seen in life, I've never seen a test like this. God said to Abraham, he commanded him first, I want your son. I want your boy. Greatest test ever. If you're a father, if you're a mother, and you have children, you can almost put yourselves in Abraham's sandals here and go, wait a minute, okay? I mean, you, you, that's what you would say. As a human being, your mind would, would run to, you gotta be kidding, you know, what, what, what kind of command? I mean, all of those things that we would think of in human, Abraham loved his son. Abraham loved Isaac. Abraham loved his wife. I'm not even, I don't even have time this morning to get into the fact that Abraham takes this boy to do what God told him to do. And I don't think he told Sarah. Can you imagine in his mind how he's dealing with this thing with his son and then thinking Sarah is going to kill me? I don't, I don't even know how I can, how I'm going to be able to tell my wife that I offered our son as a burnt offering to God. I, his mind, I can't even imagine. I just wrote under the bottom of my notes, the greatest test ever. So now you understand right from the beginning of this when the writer says, hey, consider Abraham for a guy who had a willing faith because Abraham was willing to do what God told him to do. Think about how hard this would have been. Think about how difficult this test would have been. Isaac is the promised son. Here's what that means. God told Abraham, you and Sarah are going to have a child and through that child, I'm going to build a nation. Now, Abraham's getting close to 100 years old, if you remember the story, and he has no son with Sarah. She's barren. And so Abraham's praying, God, I know you're God, but you better get started. I'm 100 years old, and Sarah's 90. And so God does a miracle, and Sarah has a baby at 90 years old, has this boy, Isaac. And they love this boy. He's the son of their old age. Man, he loves this kid. And God comes to him and says, I want your boy. I want him. I want to see if you will give him to me. Now listen, we know the rest of the story. And let me throw this out here right now. God doesn't take human sacrifice. God never intended Abraham to kill his son. God never intended any of that to happen. It was a test. But for it to be a real test for Abraham, Abraham had to think God wanted him to do it. You follow me? So Abraham is faced with this incredible test. The conflict in his heart must have been beyond understanding. How could the God that I know ask me to give my son this way? How could the, the God that I know is good and the God that I know is true, how can, I, how, how can he ask me to do this? Not only was it his son, but Isaac is the promised heir. Abraham rationally must have been thinking, how is God going to fulfill his covenant and his promise if my son is dead? If the one through whom the nation is going to come isn't going to be here, if I offer him as a sacrifice, God's going to have to give me another child at 110 or 15 because by this time Isaac's a lad. He isn't a little boy anymore. So Abraham's mind must have been buzzing. How is God going to do this? And the conflict must have been incredible in his own heart. 
And then I wrote in my notes, Abraham came to a place in his life right here where I call it decision time. Am I going to trust my understanding or am I going to trust God? Am I going to try to figure this thing out for myself? Am I going to try to figure out what God's doing in the sovereignty or am I just going to obey God? Am I just going to move forward and trust him? Remember this, God said, my ways are higher than your ways. and My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. God said, you can't comprehend what I'm doing. So you know what our responsibility is as Christians? To hear what God says and march forward. That's our responsibility. Our responsibility to do what Abraham's going to decide to do. I don't understand, God, what you're doing, but I trust you without question. Help my unbelief. You ever pray that? God, help me. I want to believe and I want to trust, but it's so hard for me. And every time I've ever prayed that, God in his spirit gives me the comfort to know, hey, just do what I told you and it'll be okay. Just move forward and you'll be all right. Abraham had to come to the point where he had to trust and obey God. He had to trust him. Let me give you an illustration, true life illustration in the life of this church. I didn't know Bill and I didn't know all that stuff this morning. And thank you. Uh, it is the greatest honor of our life to serve the Lord and, and to pastor a church and to be here. And for 23 years, we've been here and, and, and I don't want to be anywhere else. So thank God for that. But let me give you a story, a true life, true life illustration of a trial or a challenge that happened that we couldn't understand. This church began, the, the, the idea of this church plant began in 1999. This is the short version. We were at Wingate Road Baptist Church on the north side. Uh, some of us here, Bill, Marianne, and some others were in that core group that came over here. And Bill and the Florida Baptist Convention said, hey, Oakleaf is going to be this new development. And, and, you know, after 2000, we need to plant a church out there. And Bill, Dr. Bill Touchton came to me. I was going to church there. And he said, I'm, I'm a Sunday school teacher. I'm singing in the choir. My wife's playing the piano. I'm a happy Christian, man. I'm singing. I'm teaching a Sunday school class. Life is good. I was retiring from the Navy in about, about six months, eight months, you know. And I'm thinking, man, I'm going to retire from the Navy you know, get a, get like a, a, a real job, you know, doing something. And, 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 uh, Bill comes to me and says, Hey, I know God's calling you in the ministry. Why don't you start this new church? And I said, man, you must, be, are you sure you got the right guy? Are you, you know, so the short version is through Bill Touchton and, and we Sharon and I prayed and we said, okay, we'll start this church. The church had its first official service, you know, through 99 into 2000. On April 23rd of 2000, it was Easter. That was our first service as a church in a storefront over on Blanding, 3,000 square foot storefront. So Bill comes, we launch the church, he shares, I preach, and so the church is off and running. Less than three months later, July 4th weekend, <clears throat> Bill and three other guys were playing golf in Fernandina and they're on their way back on, on 95 and the tire blew out on the SUV. The thing rolled over, killed Bill instantly, broke his neck. And the other three guys were injured at various levels and they all were in the hospital and they recovered. Now here's in line with a trial or a test or something happening that you can't explain. Here's the picture. The church is less than three months old. I'm a three-month-old pastor of a brand-new church. Bill had helped orchestrate this thing. We were getting financial support from Wingate, 
for a year from, you know, the whole thing, the package was put together. Now the guy, one of the key cogs that put the package together just went to heaven. His daughter was about to get married. In fact, when I found out Bill just died, his daughter was at my house practicing wedding music with Sherry. I was mowing the grass. They came out and got me and said, something terrible just happened. We think Bill's dead. I'm like, that wasn't what I was just thinking while I was mowing the grass. And I had to go to his house and tell his wife because she didn't know. And so when we talk about a test or a trial, this isn't a, a theoretical thing. This happens in life. Now, here's the deal. I don't know why God took Bill home on that day. Bill was a relatively young man in his early 50s, I guess, middle 50s. I don't know why God took him home that day. I don't know why God would take a dad whose daughter was about to get married. <clears throat> I don't know that. A wife, you know, a family, his church, he's pastoring a church with six, 600 people in it. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. That's a lot. For 23 years now, I don't know. Like, I can't, I can't tell you why God did that. But I know this, same thing Abraham knew, God doesn't make mistakes. And God, God never makes an error. And so even though, like Abraham, perhaps, we, we, can't, we can't, you know, put this thing in a nice little box and, and dot all the T's and cross all the I's and say, well, here's what God's doing and here's what God said. I, don't, I can't do that. I don't, I don't know why God took him home then. But I know this, when I get to heaven one day, Bill will be standing there and say, man, it's pretty good here. And then I'll understand why. Then I'll, then I'll know what God was doing. I'll know what God's plan was. You know, I don't, I don't know what it is now, but whatever it was, God did good. He did right. And God had a purpose for that. So for Abraham, God said, take your son and offer him to me. I can't even begin to describe how I think Abraham must have felt. I, I, don't, I don't know because I wasn't in his shoes and I'm thankful God's never asked me anything like that. But read verse three and notice Abraham's response. Look at this. So Abraham rose early in the morning. Just stop right there. Did he sleep? I don't know. I wouldn't have slept. The whole rise up early did, wouldn't need to be there because I would have never laid down in the first place. Abraham rose up early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him, and Isaac, his son, and he split the wood. The indication is Abraham split the wood that he's going to use on the offering. Can you, I mean, is your mind wrapping around this thing? He splits the wood for the burnt offering and rose and went to the place which God told him. Resolute determination, that's all I could write there. Here's this man who knows God, and he says, God said, do this. I don't understand. One writer said this, calm, deliberation, and unflinching heroism. Like, man, what, a, what a, a testimony. Then think about this. The journey to this mountain is three days. You're walking with your son for three days that you're going to offer to God. And the boy don't know yet. And I assure you, Sarah don't know. So Abraham's dealing with this thing, walking for three days. Now they arrive. Look at verses four through six. 
Then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, now watch this statement. Stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we will what? Come back to you. Oh, my stars. Abraham doesn't have any idea why God's having him do this. But here's what Abraham knows. That boy's the promise, and God isn't going to mess up his promise. And I don't know what's going to happen when we get up there, but we're both coming back. That's the faith. Listen to me. That's the faith the writer of Hebrews is talking about. That's the faith. That he's willing to do what God called him to do, trust in God. Now, as Paul Harvey would say, here's the rest of the story. The young people said, Paul who? Paul Harvey, okay? <clears throat> he used to tell stories on the radio. I mean, he would tell a story and get you hooked and then do a commercial. And you're like, no, don't the rest of the story. Listen to the rest of the story. Look at verses 6 to 14. Notice what happened. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. Let me, we'll just do some running commentary here. He puts the wood on his boy. Boy, who's that a picture of? Jesus, isn't it? Isaac, by the way, is a type of Jesus in the Old Testament. Because remember, the writer of Hebrews said he got his son back as if by resurrection. Isaac is a picture of Jesus. So look, he puts the wood on Isaac, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. Now look at verse 7. But Isaac, now he's a smart young man. He spoke to Abraham his father, and he said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. Then he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? I don't know how Abraham could keep it together right along here. I don't, I can't, I can't, I can't comprehend. And Abraham said, here it is. My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Let me just jump ahead to the New Testament. God did provide himself a lamb, didn't he? And who was it? His own son. Do you see the picture? You see that you see what the picture's being drawn here? God provided himself a lamb in Jesus Christ who was the ultimate lamb of God, came to take away the sin of the world. Verse nine, then they came to the place of which God had told him, and Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. Now look at this part, and he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. Let me make an observation right here. I think Isaac was big enough right here that he couldn't have got bound unless he let his daddy bind him. His dad's 115 years old or whatever he is. Isaac's a strapping young man, and somewhere along here, Abraham had to say, hey, you're the offering. I got to bind you and put you up on that thing. And Isaac had enough faith in God and in his dad to say, okay. Again, can our, can our minds even begin to grasp that? But that's exactly what happened. Look at verse 10. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. Now watch this. For now I know that, you're, that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horn. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Abraham passed the test, didn't he? He was willing in his heart to give God everything. What was the result of this test? Three things. Abraham's faith was strengthened. 
Do you think after this there was anything God could say to Abraham that he wouldn't believe him? No. Abraham's faith was strengthened like you wouldn't believe. Secondly, Isaac's faith was strengthened. You think Isaac got a lesson out of this? Whoo, God, I'm glad, I'm glad you spoke when you did. I'm glad, I'm glad there was a ram caught in the thicket. Isaac's faith was grown. And above all, above all, God was honored, was he not? God was glorified in their obedience. Now let's analyze it and sum up real quick. Go back to Hebrews 11, 17 and 19, and we're gonna make concluding observations. Here's why the writer to the Hebrews said what he said because of that story. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promise offered up his only begotten son. He offered him in his heart. He was willing to do it, and that's what God saw. Of whom it was said, in Isaac your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up from the dead, even from the dead from which he also received him figuratively. I want to give you some reasons why Abraham's faith was what it was. And these reasons are bound around what Abraham knew about God, and we're going to close. So listen to this carefully as we tie it up and put a bow on it. Listen to this. Abraham knew, first of all, <clears throat> that no matter what he could understand or what he couldn't understand, God loved him. Abraham understood that God loved him and that God was going to take care of him, even though he couldn't comprehend and he couldn't understand. That's vital for us in life when we lose a loved one or we lose something precious in a crisis or we, or we meet something in life that we just can't understand. We have to remember, no matter what happens in life, God loves us. God loves you. And Abraham knew that. And so Abraham said, you know what? I'm going to trust God because I don't, I don't understand, but I know he loves me. Number two, Abraham had this kind of faith, a willing faith, because he knows God cannot lie. God cannot lie. What did God tell Abraham? That boy is the one I'm going to build a nation through. So the only thing Abraham could come to, look, if God lets me kill this boy on the altar and offer him to him, God's going to raise him from the dead because God said he's the one through whom the seed's coming and God can't lie. Man, I don't give you good faith when you understand God can't lie. That'll give you strong faith. So he knew God loved him. He knew God cannot lie. Number three, God is righteous. God will never do anything or call us to do anything that's unrighteous. God will never be part in anything that's unrighteous. God's righteous. And Abraham knew that, so he trusted God. And number four, Abraham knew that God's purpose was always best. Even if he couldn't understand it, even if he didn't know why these things happened, God had a purpose and it's always best. The application is this. If you've not run into some unexplained thing in your life, just hang on because you will. You'll have some experience, something as a Christian that to us doesn't make any sense. To us, we don't see a purpose in it. We don't see a reason for it. But we have to have a willing faith. We have to have the same kind of faith that Abraham had to say to God, honestly, listen, and God, God knows our heart. You can pray and say to God, God, I don't understand this. God, I don't, I don't understand why this thing happened or you allowed this thing to happen. God, I don't understand why I'm in the middle of the hardest part of my life right now. God, I don't understand that. But God, I trust you because I know you love me. I know you have a purpose. 
I know you're righteous, and I know you'll never go back on your word. God is honored when we do that. Now, I'm not saying it's easy. <clears throat> I could tell you, if time permitted this morning, I could tell you challenges that Sherry and I have faced in life that brought me to the point of laying on my face in the bedroom with my face in the carpet, crying out to God because I didn't know what to do. Listen, God will bring it to those places. But when you get to one of those places, and you just really lay it all on the altar, as we Christians say, but it has a reality, not just that nice sounding little thing where you got your face buried in the carpet and you're crying out to God because you don't know what to do. Man, when God meets your need there and God meets you there, you'll never be the same when you get up. And sometimes God brings us to that place on purpose because he wants us to be different. So let me encourage you today, have a worshiping faith. Let it be genuine when you, when you worship God. Have a, a walking faith. Walk with God. Let it, be, let it be in the habit of your life to live out your faith and let what's in your heart be true on the outside. Have a working faith. If you're saved, get involved. If you're saved, be involved in the church. Listen, you ought to join the church. You say, I don't want to join this one, then join one somewhere. You ought to join a church and be involved. Have a, have a working faith. Have a wondering faith. If God leads you out of your comfort zone to do something that you're not used to doing, well, do it. If God's calling you to do it, do it. And then have a willing faith. Have a faith that says to God, Lord, I'm willing to trust you. I don't understand, but I'm willing to trust you. And here's where it all starts. Ready? Listen. It all starts with being saved. It all starts with saving faith, where you trust God to forgive your sin and save your soul forever. It all starts with saying to God, I'm a sinner. And I deserve judgment, but I want mercy. And God, I confess my sin, and by faith I ask you to save me. Here's your opportunity this morning. If you're here this morning or you're watching us online and you've never been saved, you've never confessed your sin to God, and you've never asked him to save you, would you do it right now? Right now. I'm not asking you to stand on one foot or run up and down the aisle. or do. I'm asking you right now to be willing to confess to God and say, God, I'm a sinner. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You come into this world lost. Jesus wants to save you. He died on the cross, paid for your sin. Right now when I pray, wherever you are in this place or online, would you pray and say, God, I want to be saved. Forgive me for my sin. Come into my heart and save me. Would you do that? Would you ask Jesus to save you today? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the example of Abraham and a willing faith. God, help us to see his example and do the same thing, just to trust you. Father, there may be somebody in this room or in the hearing of your word online or on a video. And Lord, right now in this moment, they know they've never been saved. God, they're lost in their sin. And if they died right now, Lord, they would be separated from you forever in a place of punishment. But God, you love them. And Jesus, you died for them. And right now, if they'll confess their sin and say, God, I'm a sinner and I know it. God, I repent of my sin. I'm sorry. Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart and save me. Lord, you'll save them right now. I pray you would do that. Work in the hearts of men and women. In Jesus' name, amen. As we stand and sing, I'm going to be right down front here. If God has touched your heart, if you pray to receive Christ, would you come? We'll wait on you. If you need to join the church or be baptized, you come. Let us know. We'll help you this morning. I have decided to follow Jesus.
just a moment. Uh, Jeff's got something he's going to show you. It won't take but a minute. But let me say this before they do that. If God's dealt with your heart this morning, you say, man, I really, I really want to ask some questions. Find one of us before you leave, me or Jeff or Bill. Don't leave here without Christ. A couple of reminders. So one of the night, we have a business meeting after the evening service tonight. If you're a member, or if you're just curious, you want to sit in, you're welcome. Can't vote if you're not a member, but you can come sit in. Uh, remember that after the service tonight, we're going to have a business meeting, our quarterly uh, business meeting. Amen. Please be seated for just one more moment. Play the video. <laughs> All right, Austin, you come up. We have transformed our kids. They they do nothing about hee haw about three months ago, and now we have we have convinced them that hee haw is funny. <laughs> okay, so growing up, I wasn't a big hee haw fan. I didn't really know much about hee haw, um, so it's kind of new to me too. And from what I've gathered, it was hysterically funny. Um, I've been to the Dixie Stampede one time in the Comedy Barn in Tennessee, and that's as close as I've gotten to anything uh, to this nature. But, so it is uh, April 28th, 2023, so plan for that, okay? Not next year, it's this year. At the end of this month at 6.30. Um, so there's a lot of behind-the-scene work that's going on, a lot of youth that are putting in a lot of time that they could be doing something else they're coming up here we're practicing rehearsing saying lines we're being really goofy um we really are praying that this is a a good way to raise money for camp because the youth were going to camp and most of them don't have 401ks or jobs so we have to raise money somehow and so this is one of the ways um tickets are five dollars okay five dollars i know everybody wastes five dollars at least once a week you know I'm, I'm guilty of it so just five dollars for a ticket that'll get you in and that'll get you food right okay and that's dinner so there's nowhere else you can go right now in town for five dollars uh to eat dinner and to laugh okay uh we are accepting donations right at the door so <clears throat> shake your piggy bank out and you know come on um, <clears throat> Bill Collins is going to be picking on his banjo, correct? A banjo. Right? Yes. <laughs> yes. We got a thumbs up. He is going to be helping out, and it's going to be a good time. It's going to be authentic. Um, this is sending youth to camp. Tickets are $5. Donations are at the door. It's going to be a knee-slapping time. I threw that in there, a little knee-slapping time. Um. <laughs> So, parents, please bring your kids to all the meetings that we have. If you have a youth that hasn't gotten involved yet, this will be a good time to kind of let them get out of their comfort zone and out of their shell because it is going to be silly and we are going to be goofy. And fortunately for y'all, y'all don't know how the skit goes. So if we mess up, we're all going to start laughing, and y'all are going to start laughing. So uh, it's going to be a good time. Please come out. Um, show your support for the youth. We very we have really been working hard for this, and that's all. It's uh, April 28th at 6.30. Tickets are $5, and donations are at the door. It is to send our youth to camp. 
a little confession. I've never been to camp before, ever. I've never been to day camp, youth camp, swim camp, summer camp. So uh, I'm going to camp this year, and I'm really excited. Um, I've heard a lot of great things about camp. So April 28th, 6.30. Y'all stand back up as we pray, and, and, and God's moving in our, our youth ministry. We have a record number of kids um, signing up for camp, uh, more than we've ever had before. So you pray for us as we continue to grow our ministry in the Lord. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, and thank you for this time of, of fellowship, studying your word. God, I pray that uh, our hearts are full and our minds are alert of of application and conviction in what we've learned today. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.